Hi and welcome back. I'm super excited. Another episode um, on the Reboot, Retail Reboot series. And we're just really talking to retail experts. Um, we, we know in Ireland, the UK market, the retail um, dynamic is shifting quite quickly. And I have an amazing guy. If you're not following him on LinkedIn, please hit the follow button below. His name is Ian Scott and he shares so much of his knowledge and wisdom all around the world of retailing and specifically around the visual merchandising aspect of it. His business is Ian Scott Retail Consulting. He's a really, really interesting character. If you don't know me, you know him by his lovely florally shirts there um, and his fantastic posts on LinkedIn. Um, I got drawn into Ian um, through his authenticity on LinkedIn. So I've been in retail myself um, for 15 years, managed loads of different stores. Um, and when I seen Ian's stuff, it resonated with me because I was on the shop floor um, and I could see all of this is really really relevant to people that are in the retail space and really looking for opportunities there's lots of retailers closing down opening up and I see the visual merchandising aspect of retail as a huge huge opportunity that we can leverage within within the space and I'm here to talk to Ian about that today so Ian tell us a little bit how you got started because I know we kind of dipped in a little bit before we pressed the record button but tell people how Ian Scott Retail Consulting kicked off. It's one of those ventures that came out of necessity during COVID. Um, I've been working in various sort of areas in retail design for over 20 years, um, then worked for a company that were doing uh, insight, research, behavioural psychology and design, which really opened my mind to understanding the shopper behaviour bit. And then I was head of innovation for a company called Tag, or a global marketing services company for two and a half years, which gave me the opportunity to travel the world um, and, and, and to look at shops in Asia and North America as well as Europe. Uh, but COVID hit and I got made redundant. And uh, that was July 2020. So nearly three years ago now. Um, and I, I developed a following on LinkedIn um, and I decided to try and leverage that and be a consultant. Um, and LinkedIn was a fascinating thing for me because it was always a space where I could just talk about an interesting shop I saw. So for years, I was posting on LinkedIn, not trying to promote me or the company I work for. I'd just be like, I've seen this really interesting shop and here's what I like about it. You know, a little bit like Instagram. I use Instagram to post nice pictures and to follow people who post nice pictures, which is actually quite quaint and naive these days because Instagram's this massive e-commerce platform. But um, LinkedIn was the same. So I decided in July 2020 to really start pushing that. And I got known for posting about shops I visited. So I started visiting more shops and posting more about them. And now all my work comes from LinkedIn through through the engagement that I get there, which, as I said to you before we started recording, was not a, a, a clever commercial strategy. It was something I stumbled on by mistake. But thank goodness I did, because it now uh, affords me the opportunity to grow the consulting. It's amazing. It's such a great story, um, Ian. And for anyone that is on LinkedIn and that is a business owner, it's it's one of those platforms, not like the others, I think, where you, it's a real great community vibe yeah. from us. And um, I love it. I love the learning that you get from it, the knowledge and um, the support and the people that are on it are just I've, I've gotten so much great friendships from it. Yeah. And I built my business through LinkedIn as well. A lot of my my clients come from there. They see my material on there um, and it builds that no like trust factor. So I suppose 
the, you visited tons of shops and mm. obviously you see you start to see trends yeah you start to see yeah. incredible things coming through what are kind of typically the things you see when you go into um you know it could be an SME retailer for example and you know, they're not really getting it right. Uh, they, they don't really see the value of visual merchandising. Um, you know, they're not really looking at it, making impactful windows. Um, they're not really looking at their customer journey when they come inside the doors. You know, where do you start with them or what's your kind of process around helping them get that clarity piece around that? I, th- I think there are some basic tools around designing an effective store that apply to anyone. Um, and I often showcase people like Nike and Apple and everyone goes, oh, that's OK. They've got billions. And I'm going, yeah, but the fundamental principle comes from stems from knowing and understanding your customer. Uh, and I, I always say to me when I used to run those innovation workshops a few years ago, I used to say, OK, I need to understand you and your brand. Who Who are you and what do you do and what do you sell? Mm-hmm. Who is your customer? Uh, and it's sort of weird because you don't price for you shouldn't profile a customer by their name or their age or the car they drive or the newspaper they read. That's, I was going to use rude words. That's rubbish. Um, what it is, is understanding why the shopper missions. Why do people come to buy from you? You know, and to give you an example here, um, you look at a supermarket and it's to sell food. But if you think about it, if you come in at lunchtime to grab a meal deal, that's about speed. You want to get in and out quickly, grab your, your meal deal and get back to your desk. If you're doing a weekly shop, that's really about value. You know, if you have a family, you want to get best value because you have to buy a lot of food. If you're buying food for, say, uh, an anniversary or a special occasion, that's about quality of food. So the same person is going into that shop for three different reasons. It's important to understand those reasons. So if you can understand those missions, then that really helps you understand what you need to do as a proposition to appeal to that customer base. The third one is really understanding your retail space. Do you have your own store? Do you have a website? Are you on social media? Do you sell wholesale through someone else? Uh, Do you use pop-ups? So understanding the channels through which you sell. And then the fourth one is understanding how you measure the impact and success of any change. Um, Because if you can't measure it, and it's not necessarily sales, it could be other factors like uh, new customers coming in or customers spending more. So my thought then is if you're trying to look at a new idea, is it on brand? Does it appeal to your customer audience? Will it work in the space that you sell? And can you measure whether it impacts? And those are the four pillars that I often ask people to understand and recognize so that whenever you're looking at a new idea, you sense check it against those four. And if it if it ticks three or four of those boxes, it's worth trying. Um, if it only ticks one or two, it may be borderline as to whether doing that. And I often say to people, you need to work back from those end objectives to then challenge any idea you have. So when it comes to Windows, you know, this is something we were talking about earlier. Windows primary role is to get people to come into the store. OK, yeah. it can do other things as well, but its primary task is to see the window. Be curious or excited or interested. You then go in to have a look. That window has done its job. Then your store environment has to deliver on the expectation that your window has delivered. There are other things, your social media and advertising, whatever. But, you know, when you're walking down a street, if you look at the window and go, that's interesting. I want to find out that window has succeeded. And when you bear in mind that on average, only three percent of shoppers notice a window as they walk down 
the street. And that's because they may be their mission may be to go to your next door store or the one around the corner. So you're, you're working off a 97 percent failure rate if you want to be very negative. So a one percent increase in awareness isn't a one percent increase it's a 33 percent increase when you consider only three percent are noticing. So the incremental gains can be massive if you can deliver a window that catches attention and makes people act on that and go into the store. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. That figure. Yeah. Because if you think about it, you know, there may be a hundred streets on the store. It's, it's a bit vain to assume everyone wants to come in your store is going to notice yours because you may not be on their radar. So what can you do with that window to grab attention? And you need to remember that people may only glance for two seconds. So you've got a two second opportunity to grab the eye. So one of the biggest failings with windows is there's often too much in there. I sell a hundred things. So I'm going to put a hundred things in the window and you end up with what psychologists call the paradox of choice. There is so much there. I can't make a decision. Um, so, so you're better off, you know, focusing on one or two or maybe three strong propositions that people can notice and understand in those two seconds as they're walking past. Because if they don't understand, gone. And, and five meters later, they won't even remember your window. It's gone because it's irrelevant. So how do you capture that attention in a very short period of time is one of the most critical things. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying there and you touched on the kind of that paradox of of choice piece. I loved that because I I I think for for me, looking back and and looking at some windows that I would see, even on my high streets here where I live um, in Goa, I think. It's sometimes where it's lost in windows is there isn't a clear message or story they're conveying. So instead of a story, they just have the product, but the product has no meaning to it. It's it's just like an object. So we need to create the meaning of that window. And that's where I think the creativity comes in, but that's where the real, um, you know, I suppose looking at what what is the message you're putting out there, but sometimes they don't have that. They don't have that story that they're trying to convey yeah. to the customer. And um, yeah. do you find that happens often? Yes, you you often end up with stuff piled in, or or even some big retailers like Curry's will just pile brown boxes in the window. You know, uh, you know. My my thought is, you know, who are you? What do you sell? Why should I buy it? Um, you know, that's almost your sense check for, for a window. And bearing in mind, you have seconds to deliver that message. And so I would often turn around to people and go, OK, try and imagine. You know, it's a fascinating sector retailing that we're all shoppers. We're not necessarily shoppers for your shop or your product, but we are all shoppers. So we all have the ability to think like your customer, the ability to step back from your business and think objective. It is difficult. You know, we all suffer from that challenge of that that sort of perspective to think like our customers because we're so absorbed in our world of what we're trying to do. But this is a great product. Why aren't you buying it? And people are going, I don't care. Or, you're, you know, I don't understand what it is or I, I can't see the price or I don't know whether you've got the color I want, you know, and you've got to just step back and think like the customer and go, OK, if I look at my window why why would I want to interact with it? Which is what I often run retail safaris where I take people around stores. And it's an ability to step into the customer world because you're going, stop, stop thinking about your world. Let's go and look at how other people do things. How are they communicating that? 
is it clear what this is? You know, uh, and simple things like a call to action in the window. Come inside to find out more. We have more options in the store. The power of a call to action is huge. That little nudge and prompt, because otherwise people look in the window and go, that's really interesting. And then they stand there for a second and then they leave. So you have that attraction and engagement. You need the call to action. Go come in and find out more. We we have even more in the shop. You know, this is on offer until Saturday. Come and buy it. These are the little prompts that nudge that curiosity into, into action as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think uh, I worked for an, an Irish uh, retailer. They were they done Irish design. And I just thought it was such a fascinating thing. They a lot of the products you had in their store, Ian, they were made from, you know, Irish designers. They were homegrown, all of that kind of great stuff. And what they decided to do in their flagship store in Dublin, um, they actually put the designers, they massive windows into the windows. So as the walkers buying Dublin were walking by, they literally had, it was beautiful. It was like nearly like a, a demonstration. So they had yeah. this lady in making pottery in the window yes. and the crowds that were gathering around the window. It was, now that's theatre. And I yes. think, can we create that theatre in windows? You know, yeah. something to get the buzz. Like what you said, they're walking by. Can we create that captivating audience that's going to go okay what is going on I want to yeah. see what's happening you know yes um, and look in that window so yeah I just thought it was a fantastic way to do it and it's yeah. not saying that we need to do it every day of the week but it's just great if you're doing a product launch maybe and um, you've got in a new pottery supplier uh, and what a way to bring it in to, to, on a busy Saturday afternoon where people are walking past that yeah. door in their droves you know Definitely. And I remember there was um, a fabulous store called Vashi, which is a jewellery store in Covent Garden. Sadly, they closed that that branch down now and they would had the foundry in the basement. So they would actually cast all the, the jewellery and they give you tours and it's wonderful. But all the finishing is done by the art, the, the, the artisans in the window. It's the same idea of, of drawing attention to a, a bit of theatre, a bit of process to help entice you to come in. Like you say, if you do it all the time, though, after a while, it becomes wallpaper. It becomes yes. standard. So it's like, well, what do you do next? And and it, there's one of those things you've got to instill, particularly with the, the SMEs, is you can never go, I've just it all. I've now done retail. I can sit back and watch the money roll in because humans are fickle, inconsistent, emotionally driven. Um, and, and they will sit there and respond differently to the same thing each time. You have to keep moving the goalposts along. You have to come up with something new to give people another reason, because there's a danger to go. Yeah, I know that. I saw that last time. Yeah. Dead. And yeah. and that's that's understanding human nature. OK, it's not about how good or bad your story is. These are those annoying people called customers who will come in and judge you and they will shop differently every time you come in your store based on their mood, the weather, what's going on, whether they've just been paid or not being paid, whether they've had a row with their partner, whether the kids are playing. These are all factors that influence how well you are going to do as a retailer. And it's annoying because most of those decisions are out of your control. All you can do is try and mitigate against the ones where you can have a bit of influence, which sounds really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we're all doomed because customers are fighting. But, but then that's the joy, of, joy and frustration of humans, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting um, because I work with a lot of SME retailers here in Ireland and, you know, 
when I when I go on site or when I'm talking to them or when I go to visit a store if I'm working with them for the first time I I do that I actually go outside the store I check the cleanliness of the windows is there dead flies in it is there cobwebs in it I check all of that because that gives a first impression of the store and I think sometimes and look we have blinkers on I've managed stores where I've had complete blinkers on and then I'm getting a visit um from someone in head office and I'm going get in the windows get the windows you know and all this panic is happening and look we've all done we've our blinkers on we're going into the same store but it's I think it is always good even get someone it could be your part-timer it, it doesn't have to be you to go right pretend you're a customer I want you to go out and look at the windows tell me what you don't like not what you like what you don't like and I used to yeah. get the girls to do that you know the the college girls that come in like right girls go and tell me what you hate you have to tell me what you hate and it can't be what you like because I want yeah. that little bit of you know you know, I don't want everyone saying everything looks great and dandy because that doesn't yeah. give me to, to work with. But um, the windows, I think, with with working with a lot of the SMEs, they, they they focus a lot on, um, you know, getting the sales in, and I know that's important. And you know, we want to get our sales up. And I think sometimes the visual merchandising is overlooked. And I know yeah. a lot of them have multiple suppliers, and each supplier wants their thing marketed in this little box. Then another one wants their shelf done this way. What you end up having is you end up having a shop where there's no kind of consistency on branding because each one of those suppliers have their own type of a way they want to do. And what ends up happening is they end up kind of running the show on your shop floor. Um, And then what you have is you've all of these different heights, okay, with different types of big, you know, cardboardy box things. And then you have different shelf units with different heights. And then you have these pop-up stands and it just looks really, really messy. It looks like a mess. Yeah. Really, really messy, Ian, like, you know, and I'm kind of going, mother of God, you know, can, can we just look at less is more, you know, they yeah. can't get around. And I think... Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I've, I've seen this, particularly with independence. I, I used to do work with a an independent electrical buying group called Euronics and they're all these independent electrical stores and they're a fabulous business. Uh, the same buying power as Curry's, you know, that collectively it's a huge organization, but you would work with them and you'd be looking at putting certain, you know, generic displays in. And then one brand will come along and go, um, I'll put my display in here. And it can be great because you go, oh, that's great. Cause I don't now have to pay for those fixtures myself. But you end up with an, a, a, a disconnect because, you know, you, you, you will merchandise. I mean, normally you merchandise, you know, there are three, three reasons why a, a customer comes in to buy. They'll buy a brand. I always buy Sony. I always buy Sony tellies. So they're good. They want to look at all the Sony tellies. Someone else will go, oh, I have a thousand pounds to spend. Okay. So you could range by price. And then someone else will go, I want a, I want a, an 8K telly. So they're buying specification. So, so how do you merchandise? Do you merchandise by the brand? So you have all the Sony and the Samsung and the LG together, or do you do by price from 500 pounds up to 5,000 pounds, or do you do by specification? And the problem you have there is whatever you do is right for one type of customer and it will alienate others. But if you're trying to create a generic display and then you've got one display at the end from one brand, say Samsung, using the television analogy here, Samsung put their display in. However you're trying to do things, you end up with a disconnect because if you're doing them all by price, that's fine. And then there's all the Samsungs together. Um, If you're doing by specification. So you've got to consider this. And, And sometimes you can sit down with all of those suppliers and go, 
OK, uh, you're supplying all of these things. And as you say, this higgledy piggledy mess, you can sometimes sit with them and go, OK, I, this is how I want to merchandise and range. And you may get a contribution from all of them because they will see the benefit of what you're trying to do in your store. So rather than having that cardboard shipper or then putting their permanent metal display in, they may actually give you a little bit of money to help you create your own display on your terms. So suddenly it's it's Louise Lally store display. It's not a bit of Samsung and a bit of Sony. And the benefit is your store, you're in control of, and you do still get a bit of a contribution. It's amazing when you turn around and talk to these brands. If yeah. they understand what you're trying to do, they see the benefit and they will help out. So it's, it's having, having a clear vision of what you want your store to look at, look like, how you want it to merchandise, because you know your customers better than anyone else. And when I go to visit a store, I always talk to the store staff. The guys who are there 35, 40 hours a week know how that shop works better than anyone else. And the ability to sit down and talk to someone and understand how that store works is amazing. So, you know, when we're talking about getting the store owner to design the window, they'll go, oh, I don't know what to do. You ask them about what works in their store and you won't be able to shut them up. Oh, yeah, they're always asking for this. And I, I find that they want this. And it's translating that conversation you have in, into insights, which is what they are. They go, OK, so you actually do understand what's going on here. You do see that opportunity. You're just not seeing it as an opportunity. If I ask you what to do, your, your brain will freeze over. If I chat to you about the guys that come in in the last few weeks, you will pour out all this insight. So it's how do we take that, translate it into using the store in a more meaningful way? Yeah, that's really, really great. That's great advice, uh, Ian. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. A lot of uh, retail owners, a lot of people that are on the shop floor. Um, yeah, it's really, really good. Really interesting because I was working with a retailer there a few weeks ago. And like that, the, the there was two staff members that were there for 20 years. And the knowledge, like I was on site, I think I was on day two or three, but I had a conversation with the two of them and the knowledge I got out of the two of them, they told me all the problems. Like within, yeah. they knew it inside out. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, no amount of observations or whatever else, or even pulling sales reports. You're, you cannot see from an Excel sheet what the story that's happening in your business. It's those people yeah. that are actually on the front line that are um, not in an office, but are actually there on the shop floor every single day that actually yes. really know the business and know your customers. And um, I think that's really important when you're looking at VM. I think it's a really important thing. And, and going back to the suppliers, there is loads of suppliers out there that will support you in that yeah. shop design piece in, in getting it right in your store. But I think it's something that needs to be, uh, you know, it needs to be looked at as much as we we prioritize getting the ranging right in the store and getting that design and where the product goes is just as big of a priority, I think, for, for mm. retailers. Um, so you've talked a little bit about, you know, in, ensuring the windows are right, different kind of people that do the windows, different impactful windows. Um, POS is kind of something that it it. It is kind of, it's part of the VM, I feel. Um, I know the market, some marketing departments are involved in it, but the POS in windows and especially in stores, a lot of retailers struggle with this a little bit um, and they want really loud um, in your face when the sales aren't working. Um, and then some of them, you know, it's a bit disjointed. Do you have yeah. advice you can give SME retailers around kind of, 
impactful POS that isn't yeah. too heavy because we know when there's yeah. when it's too busy it just doesn't work because yeah yeah well, one, one, of, one of the first things that's important to understand is dwell time how mm. much time will customers spend at a certain fixture and the interesting and challenging thing is different categories within your store will have different dwell times and I, I learned this 15 years ago when I was I was working on two projects for a milk brand and a whiskey brand and the tri- there were category displays you know how to upsell all of milk and all of whiskey and they were trialed in the same Sainsbury's store in Surrey and it was fascinating because the milk people said um, the dwell time for standard milk not the specialist milks like uh, almond and uh, lactose free the standard milk is half a second you go up and you navigate you know here in the UK we have red green and blue semi-skimmed full fat and 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 fully skimmed uh and so people the trolley doesn't stop green semi-skimmed two pint you grab it and you go um so you just navigate by color we you ended up with like a traffic light color system to promote the different grades whiskey has a 75 second dwell time you're spending 40 quid 75 percent of the purchases are a gift uh, so the cost of getting it wrong is very high. Um, and so there you can write about the history of the Highland peat bogs and flavors and all this sort of, and, and you absorb it because you will spend a lot of time. So the whiskey solution that we developed had touch screens and history and information and product comparisons. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that in milk. So that's the same customer in the same shop buying products 10 meters apart. 150 times more time spent in one category than another so i know a lot of stores are smaller but but just observing it may there may not be a huge variation if you're a gift shop you know you're an independent gift shop but just understanding how much people spend because then you need that gives you an idea of how long people will spend reading the pos so if the average dwell time is 10 seconds don't write a 300 word history because people are going to invest 10 seconds. And you've got to remember half of that time is going to be browsing the products, not reading the sites. So if the average is, just observe your customers, you know, how much do they spend? You know, how much time do they spend? And then think, okay, my messaging has got to take less time than that to absorb. Um, and then another simple thing is what I call communication hierarchy. So you layer information. When you first come in, it can be a welcome and an explanation about what you do. It could be a sign on the wall or it, it could be if you've got a column, you can put a simple listing of the things that you do. You know, as a welcome, what you call that decompression zone in the first few meters where you come in a store and you go, OK, right. What have I got here? Uh, where is everything? Then the next thing is navigation, which is category, you know, signage around the store going, you know, here's the tankards, here's the flags or whatever, you know, that simple navigational aid. And then when you get to the fixture, it's like, OK, I have a range of different products in this category I'm interested in. How do I navigate them? And then you're down to how do I choose one product over another? Um, and then keeping information simple. Lush do this brilliantly. OK, you look at their signage and there'll be the name of the product and the price is big. So this is what it is and this is what it costs. And then underneath it, there'll be a little strap line and a qualifier in slightly smaller text. And then there's small print if you're really interested in the ingredients and the backstory. So they layer the information. You know, the other side of it, most technology companies are dreadful. If you go into a Curry's and you're looking at buying a laptop and there'll be an A5 card next to it and there's 500 words in eight point text like one paragraph normally and you go right deep breath i've got to invest two minutes to read all this stuff to find out whether it actually has 
the hard drive memory size I'm interested in. And, and so they put all the information and a lot of it technical all in the same size. So you can't scan and absorb and the other size lush lush do it really well so it's just thinking about those basics of navigation how do i how do i uh look at different products and how do i select one product and how do i put information in based on how much time people are invested in doing which is a three minute simple thing for me to say and it's an absolute bloody nightmare for an independent retailer to understand and then qualify and translate into communication yeah it's it and i I think that's really important, the text on the POS um, and the size and yeah. the dwell time, which I think is really, really important that you touched on there, Ian. And I don't hear a lot of people say that. Actually, you're probably one of the first people that said that to me around dwell time. Um, when you're doing POS or anything like that, are they going to be standing there for that length of time? And I think most most retailers have footfall counters. Some of them have the conversion piece set up. And most of them have an idea. Even if you ask the guys at the shop floor how long do they normally spend, it will differ, obviously, with different days of the week. Yeah. There are people coming in lunch breaks. It's a different type of a customer. It nearly needs to be self-made if you're, you know, if you're in a gifting, mm. you know, they're going to want to grab and go type of a thing. Um, there's obviously a big kind of a push, I think, with technology. And I think a lot of the SME retailers are kind of struggling a little bit because they're seeing all these big, big multinationals, Ian, um, and they have, you know, um, people as stores where, you know, people go in and, and then they have all these cool tech savvy things where they have even pictures of products but you don't actually get you know the products are behind the screen I think you've done a post yeah. on that, which is great but there's all these different kind of technologies um and and some of the retailers are kind of like how do I is it really really important to have all of that um does it improve the shopping experience I suppose Ian or from your experience what do you think do you think hmm. um it it makes it a better experience um, or do you think it's just, um, I suppose they're, they're using those um, from a cost perspective, maybe because yeah. they're going to have less people in the store. I, that's a yeah. question to ask you, I suppose. Yeah. It's, um, there's no one straight answer for that. But what I, I, I often, I mean, I often challenge some of the technology that goes in. It's, it's sort of funny because a lot of companies, you know, the, the marketing team will be fighting to get another five pound budget for the POS. Mm-hmm. But then the company will spend five million implementing screens in store, um, you know, and, and, and I read a statistic somewhere that on average, 20 percent of point of sale doesn't work. It's the wrong thing in the wrong place, saying the wrong conversation. The challenge is knowing which 20 percent, you know, because if you if, if knew, I, I would get very, very rich helping people save 20 percent of their POS budget by saying get rid of that. It doesn't work. It's not that straightforward. Technology. Um, is exciting and, and I often I often jokingly say you know some companies will throw millions at that so the CEO can boast at the golf club on Sunday about all the technology in his stores and, and a bit cynical but I'm, I don't think I'm that far off the mark sometimes because they'll put screens in everywhere and go that's great but we don't have to print all that POS and then they go I go right what content are you going to put on oh we're going to run our, run our TV ad and I'm going well your TV ad's about brand recall screen in the store is buy me now you know they're actually there the product is on hand it's a different message so there's a huge excitement about retail media at the moment they're seeing selling media space in stores is the last untapped area but you've got to get the right information at the right time um i always used to refer to lush stores as wonderfully analog uh i'm not anti-technology 
but they did everything so well they didn't have to rely on screens yeah but having said that i'm not like i said it sounds like i'm against it i'm not against it particularly when you're a small business the investment is very high and i would say you've got to work out where you're going to make games doing this um i would say the the better thing to look at is okay if you're on social media if you've got an instagram account or facebook make sure that there's a consistency in what you're saying and what you're offering on social media and on your website to the store there's nothing more annoying as a shopper going on the website to check a product and its price going into the store and finding that the website's got an offer it's actually 10 percent more in the store so you're being rewarded for getting off your backside driving into town paying to park in the car park walking into the store to find it's more expensive so you need a consistency of message across your different channels mm-hmm. uh, apps are really cool things that you can set up relatively cheaply um, and, and some clever brands are using the app as an interactive tool that makes the physical store experience more. And there's a higher investment in this. But, for example, Nike, you can go into the store and it will you come into a shopping center and it's like, hi, Louise. The app will say, hi, Louise. Great to see you in Westfield. We look forward to seeing you in the new Nike store. And they welcome you and draw you into the store. And then you go into the store and then information will appear on the app based on your browsing and buying history via the app so they were like louise you bought these wonderful running shoes we've got some some new leggings that are a part of the same deal or if you scan a product you can buy it directly or if you want to try something on you scan it it knows your size from your buying history so your size is waiting for you at the changing now this is high-end big budget examples but that principle of understanding your customer and utilizing those channels can work quite well i would say to any independent retailer Weigh up the pros and cons of technology. I would be consistent with your messaging. So have your Facebook account or your website saying the same thing about the same product at the same price as your physical store. That's a big win because a lot of people don't do that. And I would probably say just consider the cost of doing this technology because you can probably make gains in the analog area that will give you more sales and more engagement and more return from your customers than necessarily investing in fancy technology. By all means, look at doing the technology, but look at the bits that are going to give you a return. Don't do it because it's cool, because you don't have the deep pockets like Nike can have a go for five million and fail, walk away going, oh, well, and carry on. Independent retailers can't afford to do that. So just consider what you're going to gain from the technology to make sure that it's, it's going to be a value return for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important to the point of actually incorporating that into how you're communicating to the customer when they walk out the door. So are we still talking to them? And can we connect um, our technology to continue the conversations? Do you know what I mean? Through an app or whatever that is. And I think that's really important to think brands have built a community around them, I find they're the brands that really, really last the test of time because they have building the community is important yes. and i have to you know people go oh nike a big budget i go no but the principle of understanding your customer and reversing what you in you do into that is scalable if you just have a facebook account and you're making things in your garage right through to being a multinational brand you understand that customer it comes back to those four pillars i was talking about at the start if you understand those you you can be a little bit more confident in whatever you invest in being right and, and delivering for you for your customers and for yourself yeah yeah I think that's really really important I'm going to get you to go over those four principles I have reason for customer buying okay so reasons for why yeah. your customer buys 
the channels you sell through, okay, yes. whatever channels they are, um, measuring your sales. So that's the impact. How are you yeah. measuring your sales? And what was the fourth one? Oh, the fourth one is who you are, who are you, and what do you do, yeah. and what you sell, which should be obvious for a business, but it's amazing how many of them give you a blank look going, what's your proposition? What do you do? Um, and it's not just what you want to do, but it's understanding your customer's perception of what you do, because so many businesses do one thing brilliantly. They are then cubbyholed as the company that do that. And they're constantly fighting. But we do these other things as well. It's a sort of a nice problem. You'll recognize for something. But that, yeah, so it's who, who you are and what you do. Who's your audience? Where do you where do you sell? And can you how do you measure the impact and success of a new idea? Sales being the obvious one, but it could be footfall, new audience, uh, different target audience, introducing new products or whatever. So understand what what you want to be a success for this idea. How can you then measure that to see if it's worked as well? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really, really, really good. And I loved those four. I'm going to have them actually underneath below. Those four <laughs> guiding principles I think they're really, really super good. And I think you're right. I think that um, sometimes it, retailers, they know who the person is coming in the front door, but they're not clear on, on do they know all of the other things that they can offer them? Is there additional yeah upselling opportunities and sometimes that analytical piece gets lost in the day-to-day running of the business because they're in the day-to-day operating and that kind of standing back in and I think people like you and stuff are great at getting them to maybe step outside like you talked about your shop safari pretending you're a customer looking at your business objectively and going okay well there is actually other opportunities because this customer here is trying to tell me something through the sales. You're yeah. trying to say, I really want more of this product. This product isn't performing as well. Why don't we lessen the space on it and increase the space in this product yes. and look yeah. at more opportunities within that to grow the business more? Um, from yeah. that. I, I often call it the so what principle. You know, people tell me I do this and I go, so what? Not in a horrible way, but it's yeah. like, and what does that mean? Um, and, and, and understanding, as you say, it's not just understanding your customers, why they buy. And I, I often use an umbrella as an example. You know, I'll present to people and I'll go, well, how, how much will you spend on an umbrella? And people go, £10, £15. I went, OK, you're about to have the most important business meeting of your life or an amazing job interview. OK, it's in central London and you come out of the tube station and it's a half mile walk to their office. It is pouring down with rain. Now, how much will you spend on an umbrella? Because, you know, casually thinking about buying an umbrella means you're more price sensitive. You will pay anything for an umbrella in that little Timpsons kiosk at the entrance to the underground because that's about availability. It's not about price. There's no way I can turn up to this meeting soaking wet, looking like a drowned rat. So suddenly you'll pay 50, 100 pounds for an umbrella. So sometimes the fact that you sell it at any price is an appeal to that mission. It's not even the person because that same person will come back the following week with a different mission, a different set of criteria. So it's just understanding that variety. So, you know, it's like the demand and supply. You know, I'm sure Glastonbury, they weren't selling cans of Coke for 50p. They're probably three pounds because where else are you going to buy a can of Coke? You know, that demand and supply and availability have a, have a big impact on on uh, on your success and how you make money. I love that. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier around those different types of customers. And I thought it was really mm-hmm. interesting. You gave the example around the person going to the supermarket and 
they're going in there on the lunch break or then you have the person that's going in there getting the weekly shop or the person in there that's um planning a party and it's that similar those yeah. different and as you said it's not the person you know describing what um age they are or describing what car they're driving or it's actually the purpose and I think it's yeah. purpose it's 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 shopping with a purpose in that mission piece and you touched on that a few times and you've mm-hmm. done it there again with the umbrella one and I think that's really really poignant and really important because I think um that's real strategy that's retail strategy mm-hmm. at its heart when we're thinking like that we're bringing yeah. Um, it to another level, I think, as a as a consumer, yeah. you know, I think that's really, really great advice you've given Ian. Um, we're coming to the end. I feel like it's gone really super fast yeah. um, because there's so much there um, that we can talk about. Do you have any advice for SME retailers, I suppose, parting wisdom, um, anything that's jumped up with you recently when you've done any of your shop safaris? Um, maybe quick wins or anything like that that you can give them um, that are maybe... Uh, don't know where to start with the windows maybe yeah. and they're kind of going oh cheekers like I have a store manager that's not really into doing the windows um, do you have any advice to give people like yeah. that yeah I, mean, I, I made the reference that, that you know we're all shoppers yes yeah, everyone in the world is a shopper the other advantage for retail if, if we take a step back and realize how lucky we are in retail okay if you have an idea you have a physical store you have a test lab Okay. can you think of another sector where you can come up with a new idea, you put it in your space and then the people that you want to test it get off their backside, come to you and give you money to find out whether that idea worked. And you couple that with the fact that everyone in the world is a shopper. So everyone is active in the area that you want to engage in. I cannot think of another sector in the world that combines those two. The problem is. People don't view their stores as a test lab. Oh, I put this thing in. That's good for the next 10 years. And you go, no, that was good for the next four weeks. What are you going to do now? And you have that ability to try something. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in Chicago and I was helping uh, a friend run some store tours for a conference. And we went to an area called Wicker Park, which is like a grungy bohemian version of Shoreditch in London. Okay. Fabulous. In in a half a mile, there were 15 amazing stores from like Adidas right through to little local shops. And one of my favorites was a Chicago soccer company called Wanna Socks, W-A-N-N-A. We went in the store, Jack Stratton and I, we fell in love with this store because they were all they do is socks. So one, they're focused on one product range and they did funky socks and simple things like they merchandise them crossed over. Never seen socks merchandise like that. Uh, and they've done weird, funky things like they covered the, the storeroom door in tin foil, like a five year old had done it. And it was just so cool. And then they had amazing neon displays. And then on the wall, they just cut cool pictures of fashion out and stuck them on wall like a teenage girl would in their bedroom. Wow. And it was and you walked around and there were really cool professional things, really bizarre amateurish things. And the, and the product, and, and we walked around with a huge smile on our face, went, what a cool store. And it was a great example of someone going, you know what, I'm just going to do this. If it doesn't work, take all those pictures off the wall and put something else up. And it was a great example of, of test and learn and try. And everyone, we, we brought in 40 people into that store and everyone was going, this is so cool. And you could you could rip to pieces how unprofessional all those pictures on the wall are, or how the tin foil on the doors were. No one cared. They loved it and have a go. So I would say, give it a try. 
and observe, see what happens. If you have a footfall counter, brilliant. Are more people coming in? And then, OK, so why do they come in? Let's try this bit and test and learn and test and learn. And I say, you, you have a test lab where your customers come to you for you to find out whether it works or not. Think like that. And your store is a playground for doing different things um, and, and give it a go. That would be my, my, my advice. Thanks so much, Ian. Thank you so much. It's been an amazing episode. Um, loved listening to your knowledge. You have so much when you open your mouth. You stuff on LinkedIn, um, but listening to you talk, your passion is so palpable. It's coming through the screen. Like, oh, I love so love super those. excited. Yeah, but you can feel that energy. It's so, so nice um, to talk retail with someone else. It's as excited about yeah. it as I am. So it's been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, and if you're not um, reading any of Ian's amazing store tours, all the different knowledge he does, check it out um, and follow him because it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Ian. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Louise. Thanks, William.